cat. Oh, sorry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna redo that one now that we're recording. Alrighty. This is a special episode of the Sandcast podcast because we are, first of all, we're bringing in an uh, indoor Olympian. Usually this is strictly beach, so only for Kavika shows you we make these exceptions. <laughs> um, but we are also going live on USAV's Instagram, USA Volleyball Instagram. And before we start, I want to say that because we're going live on USAV's Instagram, what we say here does not necessarily reflect the views of USA Volleyball. It just reflects the views of us. And with that being said, Kavika Shoji, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. I'm honored. One of the first, one of the few indoor indoor guests. And uh, it's a joy to be here with you guys during the quarantine, getting out of some daddy duties for the next hour. Yeah. <laughs> boys and uh yeah happy to discuss some indoor some beach see where this goes dude it's nice for me to see you right now with beautiful manoa in the background i know i got to spend a a good amount of time at that house growing up i'm sure i i'm just picturing a few rainbows dropping in on our podcast you know how it is in hawaii we got a few morning showers light trade wind breeze about 76 degrees fahrenheit there could be a few rainbows coming in the background for just for you try <laughs> oh i missed it <laughs> dude i wonder if uh if any of the listeners would know who the first indoor olympian we had on the show was actually oh uh, yeah I, I know who it is i don't think they would know it was more of a cameo yeah it was just a, a quick pop in <laughs> Vika, do you know i don't i don't the the one and only murphy troy murph dogs I should have guessed that. Um, I wish he, he could make another cameo appearance. I posted a picture this morning with you, me, and Eric in Shenzhen, China, 2011 World University Games. Yep. Quite a fun trip. Um, and I've spent a lot of time with Murphy. We were playing on the second team together all through the last quad until the, the Rio Olympics. And um, now he has a baby girl, and we, uh, we see him quite a bit, and we're still close. But one of my favorite teammates ever and a guy that I set a lot of balls to in um, those four years. Yeah. We all have little baby girls now. So, um, it's amazing. We're going ha- to have our own little club team in a few years. We're going to have a full indoor team. <laughs> full indoor team. Then we're going to have a beach team too. Yeah, exactly. It's just the next generation of outrigger. Like this generation is like all the guys. The next one's going to be everybody's baby girls just coming up and taking over the world. <laughs> that's that's really how it is. It's so cyclical. Um, it's so generational. You know, you you um, as as you can see right now in on the indoor and beach side, there's a lot of Hawaii guys. Uh, a lot of our parents played or grew up together, and uh, it's fun to kind of now. It's going to be really fun to see our kids grow up together. That's something that I'm really looking forward to um, and kind of teaching that next generation what we've learned. For sure. Now, I think, I mean, most people know, but you come from a very rich volleyball family. Your dad is probably the most well-known volleyball name in Hawaii because he's been the head coach of the University of Hawaii Women for how long was it? 42. 42 years. Oh, my God. So my whole childhood you know he was the guy to look up to i was lucky enough to be friends with the shojis i played soccer with eric played volleyball with eric played baseball with eric where where, <laughs> where dave was our uh, coach of the manoa pirates right down behind where Kavika is at right now 
And uh, so I was super fortunate to grow up near you and your family and your parents were super cool with me in terms of just taking me under their wing and, and treating me like a son and teaching me the game. Cause I don't come from a volleyball family as you know. Um, so that was really cool for me growing up around your family. And uh, um, what was it like for you? Like being, I got to watch from the outside, you know, I was kind of in awe of, of especially you cause you're a year ahead and, and you're so good at volleyball and basketball and everything. And you were the first of us, our generation, to go over to college and go to a major university. Uh, what was it like for you kind of just being that, that um, guy who kind of had to spearhead it all for our generation? Yeah, no, thanks, Tri. That's, that's a, I guess, a good way to look at it. I was kind of the first one from our generation um, to go over. And then, obviously, you, you, your class was, was a great class to come behind me. And then Eric and Brad and, some of the, and now the new up-and-coming guys, too. Um, you know, I think I'm really appreciative of, uh, growing up in this environment, obviously, you know, having a, a father that's a coach, um, helps quite a bit for, from learning the, the, um, intricacies of the game and the IQ aspect of the game, which is so important in volleyball, right? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a skillful game. It's an athletic game, but it's also a game of intelligence and decision-making and strategy, and I think um, that's, that's the biggest uh, takeaway I have from my, my upbringing um, because, you know, most of us from Hawaii and especially Eric and I, we're not genetic freaks. We're not guys that jump out of the gym, uh, not the tallest, not the strongest, uh, but the ability to control the ball and the ability to make the right decisions. Um, there are things that we pride ourselves on and things that uh, have carried us a long way and, and in general, it's something that I'm, I, I have a lot of pride in and, and I'm stoked to see so many um, young players have that intelligence as well growing up, especially from the islands. Um, but that's one that's, you know, that's the main thing that I, I think I took away. And then also my parents were, um, were they placed a lot of emphasis, emphasis on education. And uh, that's something that a lot of young players have to realize is that if you take care of yourself in the classroom, and you're a good player, there's a ton of opportunities for you out there to, to go play, um, you know, from the East coast to the West coast. And that's something that, yeah, it's really cliche to say, Oh yeah, you got to study and, and take care of your, your life in the classroom. But it's so true. Um, the opportunities open, the floodgates open when you can combine um, the, the education aspect with the, the athletic aspect as well. You mentioned the like the importance of kind of ball control and and making decisions. I feel like the the first half ball control is is definitely something that's learnable, um, but not like the sexiest thing to learn. Like nobody's going to look at. It. Did you see that guy pass that serve? Like where did you guys learn the the value of ball control early on? Just because I feel like it's just not an attractive skill that anybody want. Like everybody wants to score touchdowns and hit home runs and yeah. bounce balls. No one wants to be like, yep, I'm a safe passer. That's a great, that's a great point, Travis. I think, um, I'm still kind of, I wouldn't say like old school, like our parent generation, but I'm not in the new up and coming generation now where it's all about mixtapes, highlight tapes, <laughs> right. um, you know, showing like impressive actions, like a bounce in volleyball, you know, or maybe a bounce block. Um, I still think that the game needs to be played the right way. Um, and and if you look at the top players, um, you don't get to the top unless you can control the ball. Like that's just, that's just the way it is. So 
you know, I'm, I try to work with a lot of young players and a lot of coaches. I've done a few zoom calls recently where they have to stress those aspects of the game. Um, otherwise, um, we're not going to develop our players that are going to be able to play at the highest levels. Uh, and so that's just, and it, that came from my dad. Um, he knew the importance of ball control. He was really skill focused, old school in that way, a lot of repetitions. Yeah. Uh, and it can definitely get a little monotonous for sure. Uh, <laughs> but if you don't put, a, put in those touches, those hours, just like anything else, you can't master whatever skill you're, you're trying to master. Um, and so if, if, you're, if there's any listeners out there, um, young players, you just have to find a way to, like Tri says on a lot of, a lot of his posts and, and podcasts, is like you got to try to way to find, find, a t- find a way to touch the ball and um, feel the ball. That's something that we don't necessarily talk about or understand. It's really a feeling of the ball um, in, all, in all skills. Um, and I just, I hope that all of the next generation can understand that and work on some of those things. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, you know, my, our class right below you, we were a bunch of knuckleheads just running around and like, we wanted to do anything and everything and just go to practice and screw around a lot. We, we didn't really learn that discipline until later. Yeah. Your dad ran practices for us that were just all ball control based. And, and we were, you know, we just wanted to bounce balls and block and all that fun stuff. And to be honest, I don't remember your dad or, or pretty much any of the coaches out in Hawaii stressing, this is how you block, this is how you hit. They're like, we know you love hitting. We know you love blocking. You're going to go, you're going to learn that naturally. You need to be really good at passing, digging, setting, all those other intangibles. And then for me, that was probably the reason I'm here today is because I had coaches like that teaching me ball control because in Hawaii, I was pretty tall, so I had to play middle for our club team, if you remember. That's right. So then I'm learning how to block. You're a great middle, dude. <laughs> I loved it. Power tipping everywhere. <laughs> uh, but I, had to, I got to block and, and be a middle blocker and learn that position, but all my reps were coming from passing and playing defense. So when, when I went to high school, I was an outside hitter. When I went to college, I was an outside hitter. I could play opposite. I could be the backup middle. I could really do anything, and then – once you know once beach came along it was like that's exactly how my game's built is to play every position the block pass defense whatever absolutely um i'm lucky yeah i think that's that's a great point you you never limited yourself by specializing too early this is another huge topic amongst coaches and parents and kids right now um and i'm really not against specialization at at an early age or sorry i'm against specialization at, at an early age um at some point, yeah, you got to choose your position. Uh, it's funny because you have a lot of guys on the national team even who didn't play in their position full-time until at some point in college. You have, I, I hit until sophomore or junior year in some matches. Micah Christensen yeah. hit at some points in his college career. Obviously, Micah Ma'a too recently. Uh, yeah. Rich, Lamborn. Rich Lamborn, Taylor Averill. Taylor yeah. Averill had multiple positions in college. So it shows you that having this different skill sets um, is it, just so beneficial. Um, and you don't necessarily have to specialize too early, but also other sports. I mean, you played a ton of other sports. I played basketball and golf. Um, Micah Christensen, Micah Ma'a, Eric, the guys from Hawaii, um, a bunch of other guys on the national team gym played basketball. Um, yeah. So these cross-training sports as well, I think, 
are huge. I mean, you learn so much about yourself and other environments. You learn how to compete, um, obviously for the physical, for the physical benefits as well, but, um, for the emotional psychological, uh, toughness you, you, you learn in, in different situations. It's huge for a young athlete. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer, um, in that. Yeah. Well, one thing I, I think that still blows my mind to this day is that so many of us volleyball players played basketball and like you, I want to say Spencer and uh, Micah Christensen were all Hawaii player of the year in basketball. <laughs> yeah. So volleyball players really, yeah. really do cross train. And obviously volleyball players tend to have more size in Hawaii. Right. So, so it works out for us. I don't know if that shows you uh, how good we were at basketball or how bad yeah. <laughs> well, it definitely shows how bad hawaii basketball is but, but i will say that you know Michael christensen was a very and is still a very good basketball player yeah. spencer was too i uh i got it around because of just how smart i was on the court. <laughs> i wouldn't consider myself a basketball player but um you know i want to go back to what you mentioned like how your your group of friends was kind of a you guys were a little bit more rambunctious group right yeah. we weren't think, looking to like be focused at a right game. right and i think you know it takes the right coach to be able to focus you but also it's it's not a bad thing to necessarily be um that type of person at that age you know i think you have to strike the balance of of finding your um your joy and your love for the sport your create creativity in the mm -hmm. sport and then also your um work ethic and, and i guess professionalism or you know seriousness in the sport as well so i think striking a balance so I, i'm you know me i'm always more on a little bit more on the serious side my brother's a little bit more on the joking side laid back side um everyone has their own niche everyone has their own style um, we all kind of balanced each other exactly exactly, exactly. and so a lot of people exactly and a lot of people ask like what does that look like and i think everyone can blaze their own trail um but you do have to work on um, the different skills, uh, that, that it takes and you have to work hard at them. And then you have to also develop a sense of, um, a strong mentality. Yeah. Do you feel like that that's something that you develop from a young age? Cause you, I mean, like you said earlier, you're into golf and like, you could tell that you've always kind of been, you know, you're the captain of the basketball team. You've always been challenging yourself as a leader and like, just to be focused and serious about what you do from a really young age. You think that was kind of because your dad or just the way you like the game? That's a good question. I think, I think it's probably mostly because I've seen my dad um, in his environment from an early age um, and just been around that culture. Um, and he's more of a serious guy too. Um, and so just learning some of the leadership um, that he modeled uh, and, and how to communicate, you know, these are all like really, really valuable lessons I think that I learned at a young age that I take a lot of pride in. Um, and, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for that, but I do think it's something that you, I don't think it's something that you're necessarily born with, but I, I think it's, it's something that you, um, observe and right, then you right. can kind of pick and choose as you grow up, kind of how to adapt things that you learn to your own style. Yeah. You've, uh, you've mentioned a lot about the, the mental side of sports. You said one of, one of your best traits as a volleyball player was your decision-making. And then you were like, I don't know if I was the best basketball player, but I was just kind of a good decision-maker. 
how do you develop that mental side of the game? Because I feel like that's almost sort of a new fad that's happening that really wasn't big in the past. Um, kind of just like mindfulness and, and making good decisions yeah. on the court. Like when, did, when were you yeah. exposed to that? I feel like your dad was probably like such an influential part of just how good of an athlete you became. It's a really good question. I think it's funny that you asked that because I'm almost finished with my master's in sports psychology. So <laughs> the mental aspect of performance, performance psychology is something that I'm really interested in. Um, and have a passion in kind of on the side of being a professional volleyball player. Um, but obviously I can incorporate some of that work into my own, into my own performance. Um, but I do think that it's something that people are more aware of now. Um, then even when I was a kid, I think naturally, depending on the environment that you grow up and you learn some things, you learn some skills. Uh, and now it's something that people are stressing more. Like, I mean, for me, it's like, why would, why would you spend, all of your time training physically and getting better in the, in the physical realm of performance. If your, if your mind, your brain, your mindset isn't right. And you tend to always screw it up when you perform, like why wouldn't you look into that aspect of performance to be able to aid in what you're working on physically? I mean, it's, there's so much, um, there's such a psychological component of everything in life, but, but in performance that I think that it would be, it would be a shame if athletes didn't actually look inside, look at themselves and look, look at how they could improve themselves from that perspective. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, cause at the Olympic level, you know, pretty much everyone can pass set and hit. Right. So do you think it's the mental side of the game that kind of makes the difference between like you making the roster and you not making the roster at this point? Uh, that's definitely part of it. I mean, we talk a lot about margins in international volleyball. It's literally, there's probably seven or eight teams that could win a gold medal in any tournament. And a lot of it has to do with mentality, trust, and being able to focus, refocusing after mistakes. And then the physical aspect to be honest, right now, it's all about serving in the men's international indoor game. If we serve really well, we're going to win 98% of the matches that we play. And if the other team serves better, then if the other team is a top, top team, then it's going to be tough for us to win. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, covered, I covered the UCLA uh, Long Beach State National Championship, uh, not this past year, but two years ago. And uh, so UCLA had gotten pretty much won the first two sets almost exclusively on serving. Like they were just bombing and going off. And then the last like three sets, they kind of, they started missing, like, I don't know, maybe half their serves. And after, after the press conference, Farah was like, not answering a question on serving. They have the green light. It doesn't matter for missing. <laughs> we're bombing away anyway. And that was it. I feel like it's probably a similar, a similar mentality at the top that he's kind of trickled down. Yeah, every, every coach has a different, I guess, serving strategy or philosophy. Um, ours is really that we want to be the most focused serving team and to be able to go back and be completely focused on your skill because it's a closed skill. It's the only skill in volleyball where nothing else affects what you're doing. Right. You have the ball, you're going to toss it, you're going to either jump or stand on the ground, and you're going to serve the ball without any other thing um influencing how you do the skill and That's so right. what is that 
we got the wind out here on the beach. True, 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 true. <laughs> you got the wind. I, I still think it's a close skill, but yeah, you're right. That's a different right. element for sure. Um, but um, from a psychological standpoint, it's uh-huh. just you and the ball pretty much. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, everyone's going to have a different serving philosophy. I mean, we want to go back and be aggressive and be able to focus on you and the ball and just doing your job, no matter, no matter what's going on around you. Yeah. It's, I think about that same thing on the beach. It's interesting. Cause I, I was, I even see it with Reed and I, and I see it in his posts and how he talks about serving and he's kind of brought that approach to the beach. And I think it's worked well for him. Um, but then like last night I was watching the gold medal match from um, Beijing with Phil and Todd winning the gold. And I just see Todd just throwing lollipops in because on the beach, you know where the ball is going to go and you can set your defense up to run plays. Whereas indoors, they're coming at you. And so it's kind of interesting. That's a great uh, point. Balance. That, that's a really good point. And I think also the four attackers coming at you with right. three blockers yeah. um, on the indoor side, sometimes five attackers, if you include the setter. Um, so I think that maybe, and I haven't really thought about this too much, but maybe from a blocking standpoint on the indoor side, maybe it's just a little bit more challenging because you're outnumbered. Exactly. Um, you know, and so the serve maybe becomes, obviously the serve is really important on the beach, especially when, when the wind kicks up. Yeah. Uh, but maybe the serve becomes that much more important in the indoor side um, because offenses are so dynamic and you're at a disadvantage at the net with more attackers from the, from the back row coming at you. Yeah. Also, I think on the beach, you have different types of setters too. So like if I, if I rip a jump serve at one guy, that ball is going to probably be passed high with a lot of spin. And if, if the guy, if you know, the guy's not a hand setter, that's going to be tricky. Or I can serve short that, you know, it's going to be easy, but then you take his approach away or, or you know, there's so many different factors. I mean, that's, what's, that's, what's fun about it. Absolutely. That's, that's fascinating for me to hear. I mean, I know some of these basic strategic yeah. elements of, of beach, you know, and I've also grown up playing with you on the beach. Um, but things have evolved so much. I mean, things, things have, and, and they are two different sports um, mm-hmm. with a lot of similarities for the, a lot of the skill sets, but strategically it's much different. Um, yeah. and as a sports fan, and as an overall volleyball fan, um, and you know this from our conversation in the past, it's, it's awesome for me to, to talk to, to some experts in, in your field and, and learn kind of the subtleties and some of the intricacies and the differences. Yeah. Well, I, I know you've been, you and Eric are both uh, big beach fans. You guys are texting oh, me yeah. a on the road. We appreciate that. I don't know how many indoor guys keep up with us, but you know, I think it's, it's mostly the Hawaii guys. Um, yeah. Michael Christensen and I are roommates. Shout out to my boy out there. <laughs> uh, he, and we, uh, we'll try to catch as much action as we can, you know, uh, when yeah. we're on the road watching you guys, we're, we're traveling a lot at simultaneous times with you guys in different places and just trying to catch streams where we can following live scores, keeping up on the Olympic race. Um, it's fun for us. You know, it's really fun when you have friends in that environment and, and, you know, putting their, their whole lives into it as well. Um, and so we can support you and, and, and empathize with you in a lot of situations as well. For sure. One thing. Yeah, that, that. Sorry, 
Okay. Uh, one thing I'm curious about. So like you guys are sort of split the Hawaii crew, which at some point there's going to have to be a documentary made on your guys' <laughs> childhood group. It's kind of ridiculous, but um, like, you know, obviously try both the McKibbins, the crabs, Brad and Spencer all took kind of the, the indoor route through college a little bit uh, professionals indoor. And then they transferred to the beach. Whereas, you know, half of you guys, and now we got, you know, Mike Ma, he's, he's sticking around indoors. What uh, prompted your decision to kind of stay with the indoor side rather than turning to the beach? And I know you're a couple of years older, so I don't know if, what the climate was like uh, in the beach when you were turning pro. That's a really good question. And I think that that um, is uh, – and this, this, these decisions a lot of young players are going are gonna to have to make and face, face some of these things. For me personally – um, I know that my skill set can translate to the beach, um, and I love playing the beach. and And I know that um, the lifestyle is amazing. But I also love being a part of a team, um, and I love the the travel and cultural aspect of going overseas to play in, in um, European leagues and getting that experience, life experience. Um, so it was those two things, and then obviously financially too. When I started to rise a little bit in the ranks of indoor volleyball and, and continue to gradually take steps forward. My salary kept going up too. Um, and financially, um, there are some great opportunities to play or to play for overseas. And I would say, so I'd say those three things were led to my decision. And I, I know I'm still open to trying out a few tournaments on the beach in the future. You know, that's something that I would, I would love to do. Um, and, and especially as I slowly kind of wind down on the indoor side, but I would say those are the three things. I love a team um, and being a part of, of figuring out how to win all together and bringing all kinds of different cultures and languages together. It's, it's a really fascinating like, experience. Um, sure. The life experience is overseas with my family to learn about other cultures, other people, um, and how to live in another place and the types of eye-opening uh, experiences and perspectives that you get from others around this globe is like, it, that's probably the biggest takeaway with this lifestyle. It's, it, you really learn a lot about the world and about yourself and it's awesome. Um, and then the third thing is, is, um, it's a little bit more financially stable. Yeah. I hear you, especially right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, we're all, yeah, every, everyone's, everyone's hurting right now for, for, you know, one reason or another. Um, yeah. So hopefully we can all pull, pull through this time pretty soon, you know? For sure. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is you happen to be listening to Sandcast Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Mawarder, we hope you are keeping you uh, slightly entertained during these strange quarantine times during the coronavirus, but we just wanted to uh, put out a message that we hope that you are staying sane, staying fit, staying healthy, and uh, staying safe here over these next couple months. Hopefully that the coronavirus passes soon enough and we're all back to our normal lives. But here is just a, a get well message from Sandcast. And 
Now we move on to our sponsors who keep the show moving on. And uh, we love Wilson. Wilson makes the best ball in the game. They came out with this new, brand new, really cool looking ball, the Optics, which has spin detection technology so we can all pass that jump serve, which Lord knows I needed. And to get discounted rates on the balls, which we will all need as we're going to enter uh, preseason again here whenever this lockdown ends. So we all need brand new preseason balls to get us ready for the 2020 beach volleyball season. The discount code is Wilson Sand for discount on all equipment at Wilson Volleyball, which makes the best balls in the game. Big, big thanks to our next sponsor, Pacific Coast Wealth Management, who's a big supporter of the Laguna Beach Open and just the beach volleyball community in general. They help athletes know where to put their prize money from either retirement to 401ks to IRAs. And if you're not a beach volleyball player, they can help you with college savings. They can help you with all the money management you need. They have incredible tools and resources at their website, PacificCoastWealthManagement.com. So hit them up today and learn how to best use your money over the course of the season. Uh, speaking of quarantine, we're uh, we're all in it together. We're all at our homes right now. You're lucky you got to make it back to Hawaii in time before travel bans got laid down. Uh, what was it like when you um, found out? Like, where were you? And, and I guess where were you in in your season? Yeah, it's tough. It was tough for the indoor guys because um, we were all towards the end of the regular season over there. Some guys gearing up slowly for playoffs. Uh, and everyone was kind of ready to just kind of wait it out. But then when the travel bans and threats started happening pretty quickly, like literally overnight, one night I woke up to like 70 text messages because that was the night that president Trump had said maybe European travel was going to be banned. Um, then guys started to really consider leaving the caveat to all of this um, kind of the elephant in the room was whether or not the clubs were going to pay us and yeah. if the season stopped and if we leave, how is that going to affect our contracts and the breaking of the contracts? And um, so guys are still trying to figure some of that out. Some guys have come to some agreements with their clubs. It was just a mess because uh, you have to fulfill your contractual ob- obligations, uh, but at the same time you have to do what's best for you and your family. And there was just a lot of, um, considerations to take into account when making decisions. And it was really quick because we, I mean, there's still some flights now, but, uh, they've been drastically reduced and it was just a stressful time. Um, but most of our guys, I think all, but you know, maybe a couple are still in Europe. Most of our guys are all back with their families, which is, which is good. For sure. And with, with this, like all this happening, how is the Olympic so, like team selection changing? Cause I don't know a whole lot about the process for indoors. And I mean, beach is complicated enough as it is, let alone a team, you know, with how many guys you guys have on it. Yeah. Uh, what's the process looking like now moving forward? Cause I know I'm, I'm assuming you guys don't have to have a set roster now for another year. Right. You know, I don't really know exactly the, the timeline. I think, um, Coach Bra, it's basically his decision up until a certain point, which might be in, I don't know, May or June of next year. Um, but he also has the ability to name it quite early. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's the staff's decision. Uh, they make the final call. And I w- would guess it would be sometime in, I don't know, April or May of next year. But 
like I said, it's a lot of it is still up in the air. We don't even know when we're going to be able to train again together. We don't know what type of tournaments are going to happen before the Olympics, if there will be any, a uh, lot of, a lot of things up in the air, but generally that's how it is in 2016. Um, we ended up naming the roster, I think sometime in late May, uh, or early June, I believe. And the Olympics started, uh, I want to say right at the end of July, or early August. Okay. And with like with the beach Olympics, I mean, try it's one thing for you where, you know, as stressful as it is, you know, exactly where you stand and what you need to do to get into that spot. What's it like on the U S indoor team where it's like pretty subjective and you really don't know exactly where you stand. There's no like point system to be like, okay, well I'm like the number three outside because I had 15 kills in this match. Like it's kind of subjective. What, like, what's it like just being in that selection process? Stressful. I'll answer it for him. <laughs> <laughs> but for like, for you guys, Kavika, like, do you guys have like team meetings? Like, do you ever know like where you stand on the roster and stuff? Yeah, we have quite a few team meetings. Um, okay. The staff tries to uh, let everyone know kind of where they're at, what roles they're playing, um, who's competing, you know, the, the communication aspect I think is, is really crucial uh, because it is a very stressful time on the athletes. Um, and I think communication helps alleviate that a little bit or quite a bit actually. Yeah. <laughs> I bet was uh, like how many, how many are on the roster at the end of the day? 12, 12. Okay. Oh, we also we talk about like the you know the psychological part of it and leadership and how you really like like enjoy that part of the game. I feel like when in a sport where there's a bench and there's backups and you really have to like be good at understanding what your role is on this particular team with these particular guys. I feel like you've done a really good job of just embracing that, especially coming from your background where you're you know, in high school, you kind of dominated everything. You were always the captain and leader. And then last Olympics, it was your turn to step back and kind of be a leader on the bench. And it seems like you kind of embraced that seamlessly. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, my roommate, Michael Christensen, he obviously kind of came quickly up the pipeline and um, is just so talented and now is uh, one of the best, if not the best setter in the world. And, um, and that's just a huge aspect and key to our team. And, and I know that. Right. And, um, and I think what a lot of people don't realize, like I've, I've built up a pretty nice career overseas. Um, and I just, I don't play a whole lot obviously with the national team cause I'm sitting behind Micah. Um, but you know, there's a lot that goes into that overseas career, um, and performing. And then there's a lot that goes into the things that you can't see, um, like, you know, behind closed doors, like in practice, um, and pushing the first team and then in meetings and like, you know, like you said, just developing these different roles, um, that can kind of come together and mesh and create just an amazing team dynamic, which is something that we really pride ourselves on in America with all of our sports teams, especially on our national team. Um, and if you watch us, you can send, you can, you really can feel the sense of support when you watch our team compared to some other teams, guys are really doing a good job of communicating 
Um, we have a good group of kind of veteran guys, young guys, um, different backgrounds, um, but we learn how to work together. That's, that's, that's something that we really pride ourselves on. Um, yeah. So it's just accepting kind of where you're at, knowing your strengths and weaknesses, you know, knowing that, you know, Micah is an awesome player, love yeah. him to death. I'm going to do, I'm going to be ready if needed. And I'm going to do all of the other little things to help our team, help our team win, help our team prepare. And that's, and that's just really understanding yourself, your strengths and weaknesses, your role and valuing, valuing that role and how you, what you do for others. Um, and that service aspect of the role, because we all have service aspects of our life and of our different, different roles in life. Um, and you have to value it to make them meaningful and to, to enjoy them. Yeah. I, I think it's just easier said than done. And, and you do it sure. pretty well. Like being the, the guy when you're overseas and college or pretty much at any level, you're the guy. And then you come back with that attitude to the national team. I mean, that's gotta be a huge reason why a coach would keep you around, you know, besides the physical aspects and your abilities on the court. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that guys have bought into that quite, quite well in our national team. I think, John and the staff have done a great job of laying out what we value and what are the advantages that we have over other teams. Um, yeah. And that's one of them, you know, and it, Americans, we, we know how to support each other. Right. Yeah, for sure. It's also, it makes me think of like the beach. It's so different where our team USA athletes are, basically in no way our teammates you know we're not incentivized at all to hope that our other team <laughs> win, to uh, help them win to teach them anything and I, I think it's kind of a waste you know because we have so much knowledge and experience on our national team yet we don't we're not able to share it with each other um but it's kind of a product of the system yeah definitely um, um, but it's interesting and, and it's cool. You know, we, we had like Rich Lamborn on who kind of talked about how he helps out with the national team because he likes to, um, he likes that national team vibe and everyone helping each other get better. Um, but yeah, you really have to try hard to, to selflessly help the other, uh, players. On absolutely. The absolutely. I think, and I'm not saying that it's good or bad. I just think it's a different situation that you're yeah. in and it, it would be much harder to to develop to buy into a role that i'm talking about in that in that scenario because you have to beat that person and well, you, you have to you don't want to be their roommate that's for sure yeah i mean you yeah <laughs> <laughs> i got that i we, mike and i get that question all the time like how are you going to be a roommate with the other center and it's like look like you embrace about, you embrace it but think about the advantages that you can have too having the setters being roommates. You yeah. can talk through what's going on in the matches. You can talk, talk through what you see. We can strategize. Um, we can empathize with each other. Right. We can support each other. It's not only that competitive aspect, you know? Um, of course, in practice, I want to I win. Yeah, and, and, you know, every, everyone's competitive. Uh -huh. um, but then when you get into that um, tournament mode and tournament mindset, you're on the road, you're all in it together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is really interesting, um, kind of that national team aspect of the beach, um, because you can have some great training camps and you want to exchange knowledge, right. But then you also have to 
keep things for your own competitive advantage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's. You're not uh, never roommating with your brother. You guys are <laughs> together? Where's that I, guy at? He it was supposed to make a, an appearance. Let's get him in here. Where is he? I don't room with room with him. We're really close, but um, typically his roommate is Taylor Sander. <laughs> there we go. There. Do you guys tend to uh, keep the same roommate? We tend to. Uh, occasionally, we'll. Um, here he is. Worlds. Okay. He showed. Waking up from a nap. Are we doing this? Hi, guys. <laughs> what up, buddy? I was, I was telling everyone earlier how we played on the Manoa Pirates together. And the <laughs> Iron Eagle <laughs> We played a lot of sports together. Yeah, that's right. Um, which, yeah, I mean, those were good times. <laughs> well, I'm so good passing now. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, baseball had a lot to do with that. I think <laughs> I was... <laughs> I was just picking flowers in the outfield the whole time. No, Chai, Chai was so fast. Like, he was the fastest player when we were younger. I mean, he's still fast, but... So he would just hit it, or like in soccer, just sprint past everyone and just be the best player. I didn't need skills. I just run fast. Yeah, you just weren't... You just were athletic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not like now. You know, it's funny that... It. It's funny that we were talking about that competitiveness and then us as brothers on the road, because... Obviously, we're here now. What people don't know is five houses down. Yeah, we have your we have your partner. Yeah, Trevor Crabb <laughs> and his brother Taylor, who are right in the middle of the Olympic qualification battle against each other. against each other. And we were just talking about supporting each other, not supporting each other. And it's funny because you have brothers who are competing on the beach and who the the conflict of emotions for them and that family have to be crazy and tough and i mean we sure. love them but it's just you know it, it is what it is um and in an ideal world for them that you guys all qualify um but they do live about a little lob wedge down the road for me legitimately <laughs> yeah. throw an apple at their house yeah <laughs> taylor came up and uh sprinted the hill with me uh, a couple of weeks back, so we did a little cardio training. But yeah, they're just down down our, our street. Dude, yeah, I think uh, those boys, they they struggled with it a little bit that that brotherly rivalry and and. Competing. Well, do they live together still? Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> they better. They talk every once in a while, so they're all good. Uh, they they yell. They probably just yell, actually. Yeah. <laughs> They still think that they're better than us in ping pong, but no chance. <laughs> you guys all day. I've seen it. Eric used to beat me with a slipper. That is true. <laughs> you were resourceful back in the day. If there weren't yeah. paddles, we played with anything. Red volleyball. Uh, like a saw, like there's a saw on the wall. Yeah. Played with that uh, kind of stuff. You play with a saw? Just for fun. Oh my. <laughs> Extreme ping pong. <laughs> it was. It was. Like I said, our generation was a little bit more of a crazy than Kavika's. <laughs> Playing ping pong. I, I already told him that I was a serious one. You guys are a little bit on the no, other I mean, end of the spectrum. absolutely true. And even I was like a serious person compared to Try and Trevor and some <laughs> other of our friends. But like you said, it was a good balance. I think 
yeah. in our club team, like we were pretty extreme and yeah. I don't know, it just, it worked out well. It balanced well. And I think like we took parts from each other and we had a pretty good club team. We had some like very unfortunate endings to our careers there, but <laughs> um, we, we did pretty well. Yeah, we did. It's <laughs> funny because I feel like your dad had to like really consciously adapt to coaching us. Like he'd be all serious with his UA team and even with Kavika's team and Spencer and Riley and them. And then he'd have to come to us and be like, okay, I'm just not even going to try to control these kids. <laughs> Let's just make them pass and learn ball control and then just let them go and play. Cause there's no point in controlling it. Like, <laughs> I mean, he had to change when he came and coached us. I, that's like. pre- I would say that's pretty true. I think as a coach, you have, you do have to adapt to different types of players and, and some coaches do that way better than others. And I think, try you know we drove coaches crazy like we literally yeah made mike seeley one of like the most zen master people in the world like <laughs> scream at us <laughs> and the power of meeting us yeah i think we just were so influential okay <laughs> influential <laughs> we just caused, like that yeah we just caused a lot of problems basically you're, you're welcome mike for being so influential today yeah so <laughs> <laughs> mike you're a better coach because, because of, of these kids try <laughs> oh man what i'm wondering but is shout out to seely though shout out to seely he was he was a a um an assistant for my dad back in the day and he coached all of us on and off a little bit. And he was uh, a great setting coach for myself personally. But sh- shout out to Mike Sudi. What's up? <laughs> what I'm wondering to say, if, if, try, if you and Trev qualify and Taylor and Jake qualify, I mean, how many Hawaiians could that be on, on one Olympic team? We'd have four, what, three on the beach. And then how many are on the indoor team now? Yeah, we could have three, or, three or four on the indoor team as well. And, Wow, pretty crazy. That that would have to be like some kind of record for most volleyball players <laughs> from one state. Tiny little state. I hope so. <laughs> I think so. California's cool. gotta have that one beat. Hey, try. I got two questions for you. You've been interviewing us, you know. Let's go. One, I want to know what the daily routine is with you now in quarantine with the baby. Yep. And then two, I want you to reflect on your indoor beach experiences and what you have liked and disliked about both yeah go cool. all right yes finally i oh. get podcasting <laughs> you said i just talk and i'm just like i don't know if anyone wants to hear it but no um <laughs> so yeah quarantine's been interesting i feel like i had a little bit of a uh head start on people on this like dealing with it because of when i was out with the autoimmune disease that was a much more stressful time for me because I felt like everyone was getting ahead of me and like time was passing by and opportunities were passing me. Um, and it was just the first time going through something like that. So that was, I think this time around mentally, I was able to wrap my brain around it with, within a week or two. Um, but I also have the kid now. So she's keeping me busy and super like grateful, as you know, just to be experiencing this point in her life it's like the you know she was close to six months old now she's seven a little more than seven months old 
but like there's so many changes going on and and I'm realizing more and more each day while being here how valuable that time is as you know as well and uncle uncle Eric knows that's um, uncle right yeah <laughs> I bet I, I saw some pictures yeah we got you know trying to trying to help the two-year-old pass the time as best as we can so we get a little yeah. painting crafts in the morning a little swimming in the afternoon we go on some walks anything uncle yeah. e, <laughs> uncle e uncle e reads to her <laughs> nice yeah it's it's good times and i got the the gym down in the garage so just i'm trying to at least work uh stay on like a five day schedule of working out um just prepare make sure that whenever this is over my body's prepared mentally unprepared and and for me especially like you guys know when I played with Hayden, I was the follower and I kind of my whole career, I've been like the, like, tell me what to do guy. You know, I never was the captain, like really doing the strategizing. And I love that. That's like a perfect role for me uh, when I played with Hayden, but now things are changing. I'm realizing I might need to take that role on as I get further into my career. So you mean Trevor's time, not like, the strategizer in your, in your partnership. <laughs> Dude, that guy knows a lot and there's like information in there. I'm like, dude, you see things better than me in a lot of ways. Tell me, like, let me hear it. And I got to like pry it out of him. I agree. He, he does. He does. He needs to, you know, speak up maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Tone down the trash so, talk, I mean, increase the, the strategizing talk. Yeah. <laughs> He's like talking trash to me during a game. I'm like, dude, channel that towards them, man. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty fun. But I mean, just learning, you know, getting better. And um, for me, watching film right now, because I'm trying to learn defense and I have too much time to think. You know how ADD I am. On defense, it's a lot of time to think. And I'm like a block blocking-minded player where it's very reactionary. Yeah. And yeah. defense, there's like so much more time. Like, uh, I don't know where to go. Mm. Although, I got Eric Shoji here. I need... I need to yeah. some private lessons yeah. you. <laughs> on the, I don't think of it. We, when did we play? We played like maybe last summer. I felt completely lost playing defense on the beach. Like I'm doing like huge split steps. My feet are like six feet, six inches under the sand. Like I'm getting completely dug in. It was yeah. rough. And... So I, yeah, no, no, like to know to that private lesson. <laughs> I don't Kavika, feel like that's beneficial. Kavika said he's going to potentially sample the beach one day if, if his career allows it, family allows it. You're not going to come out, Eric? Oh God, try. Um, you know, I can, I like beach. With a little I, training, you could do I it. I could play beach like for fun. He's a lot um, better than he says no, he is. No, I, I think That's that I, saying, I, I think that I'm decent at beach, but not at any level that can. I think he's got a solid Libro job for you know Libros can play into their fifties, so he's got a, he's got a long career ahead of him. <laughs> I will say, like, I don't know. We were good when we were younger, but yeah. I definitely beat you, and I beat Trevor, and I beat Try. <laughs> that is, you said, you said me? Well, you didn't. Know. <laughs> I'm like a goldfish. I forget. If I lose, I forget right away. Yeah, so. exactly. No, I was fun, like growing up nice. and playing against everyone, all you guys. And we had like really good days at the beach and really good tournaments. That yeah. were super fun. Well, I just remember playing. First of all, I could win a pro match with you now. 
Second of all, I, agree. I remember playing with you when we're kids and it, there would just be the longest rallies ever because you dig everything, but then you'd like tape hit it because you're yeah. not getting up quite as high. Turn away, Eric. You dig everything. Make the read. shots were like my best friend sometimes. They would just have perfect like right over the net tape yeah. shots and would go for kills. Yeah. No one yeah, expected them. But yeah. she was the best at setting up the partner on two. Oh, totally, because, yeah. Because well, he could, he absolutely could, my strategy. He could control the ball so well, you know? Yep. <laughs> Which is huge. Like, that's what – we could easily win off of that alone. Hayden was – Hayden's probably the best in the world at that, I think, digging off the – or setting off the dig. Mm-hmm. So, me and you, Eric, just like club days where you're setting me the quicks. Out of the <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, I, I would love to play an AVP qualifier or something, but – Whoa. There we go. Need, it's like, out there, people. I need a monster at the net. Try born. Try born. That's born. We can. Uh, we got to get Murph Dog out of retirement. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Travis. There's not enough sunscreen in the world <laughs> to keep Murphy Troy from burning in a long that's true. beach event. Murphy Troy is the first guy to make me feel tan in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I was that guy my whole life. And then I came up and met him. I was like, yeah, I'm going to keep this guy around me as much as I can. That's Murph that's Troy and Dave Smith. Dave Smith. They were, uh, Dave Smith. They were going for the whitest guys on the team in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that, uh, that one of the tougher parts about indoor guys who, who are at that top level, like you guys are making that transition to beach is the drop down from being, at the Olympic level, winning a bronze medal, like in 2016 to dropping down to the beach where you'll have to be in a qualifier, like Reed's first qualifier, he was like seated 64th or something. Is that like kind of a tough thing to swallow for indoor guys making their way out to the beach? I think so. I mean, I think that if you don't understand, if you really don't truly understand the games and the, and the transition, then you're probably in for a rude awakening and that pride, you know, you have, you can't go into it with too much pride. I mean, I'm, I haven't experienced it yet, so I don't really know um, because um, there is a, a big learning curve. Now, some people are able to, to beat that learning curve faster. There's no doubt about that. Um, but initially, yeah, I mean, you have, to, you have to strip that pride down and just be, able to be a learner and willing to work at it. Um, but I think that there's a lot of players that can do it. It's just that, that understanding, that patience necessary. Yeah, and now the, uh, there's always the great debate over what indoor position transitions best to the beach. What's y'all's uh, vote? That's a good question. I, I don't know if you can – I mean, I would probably say setter outside, and outside hitter. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that, those are the positions that would go out, like I would immediately say, but I don't – I think that you could get, you know – any position, yeah. if they're skilled enough and they want to work, that they could they could do it. You know, you can get some big big guys that can. I mean, look, Theo Bruner was a a very good indoor player overseas, and now he's a, a really good AVP player. Um, and he was a middle. So Dave Lee, Dave Lee, now yeah. coming along. He, he had a good little breakout last year, yeah. man. The semifinal, yeah. yeah. D Lee. Um, so there, yeah, there's some examples of some middles doing some great work. Now, does this, um, I was thinking of David Lee and then some of these older guys that we have on uh, 
both of our on your guys the indoor team and then also the beach national team uh how does how do you guys think about the like year-long delay on all of this because i mean i know especially indoor like that's such a huge commitment to just making your career go another year longer not that you guys are there yet but i mean david lee and and are, are there other guys on the indoor team that uh, are kind of at that point in their career where they're decide having to decide whether to take this extra year uh, or not yeah i think there were a couple of guys that we're kind of like, okay, after Tokyo, maybe I'll go one more professional year and then I'll stop. Yeah. Or maybe after Tokyo, I'm done. And this just, you know, obviously for most of us, Tokyo is like the main goal. So you almost have to extend it another year. And actually we were um, going down the list of like every team out there, actually, like this team's a little bit older. This team is a little bit younger. Like who's it going to benefit? Who's it maybe potentially going to hurt? And yeah, I think every team has some of those. And then the next thing that I was sort of looking at was that, okay, this also makes uh, Paris three years away rather than four years, which is, you know, mentally, it's like, it's a lot shorter than yeah. a four-year commitment. For, for whatever reason, it just feels like that. So I think there's guys where, they've extended it. And then there's guys that are like, okay, I can do another three years. Right. I think, yeah. I, I think a lot of people don't truly understand how big a, a year postponement is like how impactful it is on so many people's lives, like professional athletes lives. Obviously everyone's life right now with COVID-19 is being yeah. impacted greatly. But I mean, I, I, I'm one of those guys that's getting down to the end of my career. And those are, those are definitely things that have gone through my head on, on, you know, uh, how I can prolong my career. What am I doing right now to give myself the best chance? How am I working, preparing for when we get out of this going into next year? Um, but also, I mean, for a young athlete who is, or any athlete that's going to their first Olympic games or trying to go to the first Olympic Olympic games, it's, it's, you know, pretty heartbreaking I mean, I know you're in that boat, Try, and um, it's it's really hard to swallow. I mean, to have to go through another year of of this process um, and to prolong that excitement, that stress. And then, how about the 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 people on the back end of their career, like you said? But how about women? How about how about the female athletes that are maybe looking to retire, maybe looking to start families? Right. Uh, how does that impact them? Um, and then a lot of what a lot of people don't realize, a, a lot of Olympians devote their time and their money to their crafts to their sport and a lot of them are struggling to make it financially um yeah. a lot of smaller olympic sports that they have to find their own sponsors um you know they have to pick up side jobs and so now they're prolonging that uh, as well another year that could be financial hardships to to realize their dream in tokyo and so there's all of these different facets all of these different situations life circumstances that are affected um, by this decision that I think a lot of fans might not think about or or really understand um, so everyone's in a little bit different boat everyone's being affected differently um, but I definitely have a lot of empathy for certain individuals for sure yeah I feel like not many people understand and and like you said we're all in it so like 
we can't throw a pity party about uh, ourselves and like what pro athletes are going through because there's other people that have crazy situations as well. Yep. But, but yeah, there's a lot to, to look into and, and a lot of perspectives to see it from for sure. So you got to answer my second question. Second question. In, indoor, indoor beach. Oh yeah. With, with your experiences. Um, <laughs> I felt like, uh, when, since I was a kid playing, um, back there with you guys, it was, I played to hang out with my friends, like indoor, uh, uncle Charlie Jenkins was the first one to make me come off the beach and, and come play with you guys. I remember I went to a practice at Kauai high gym with you guys <laughs> when he dragged me out there. Um, and your dad was hitting balls in my hand and my arms were so red. And I was like, Oh, these guys are crazy. Cause you guys could hit and you guys could do all the skills. I was like, damn, these guys are like elite. Um, but for me, it was fun just hanging out with my friends because we hung out before and after. Um, I always felt like my game was developed on the beach. Like that's where I had fun and, and um, just got to be free. And that's where I learned how to block was like on the baby court. At a young age, we're able to like press over. That's what was so important about the baby court. And I felt like my blocking was kind of like my skill that separated me because all you guys were so good at one thing or the other. And I was kind of good at everything because I was with you guys, but I feel like I learned blocking. And then I, when I was a little older, I won some tournaments with Riley, some of those opens. And that got my confidence. Like, wow, beach is my thing. That's, that's my jam. And then I beat uh, Alika Williams in the Daddy Hayne Open in, uh, in, at Outrigger. Biggest win of my career. Uh, <laughs> no, but that was like, you know, because that was the moment where like, I won something alone because that was the open of the four-man team. And um, I think I just always had in the back of my mind like that I love beach and beach is my thing. Um, so when it came back around, it came full circle after playing pro and, and then I just trained and played for fun. And then Hayden picked me up. It was like a no-brainer. You know, I'm, I'm a beach guy. I'm going to go do it. Um, but indoor was huge for me because I learned how to play under those pressures. I learned how to play on a team I got coached. I never got coached on the beach until I was basically professional. Um, so I'm super grateful for indoor. I feel like my beach training helped. Like I would be blocking on the beach a lot all day having fun. And then we'd go up Sandy to practice, but then I could translate, like I feel super good blocking indoors cause now I'm jumping off hardwood. And um, so, I mean, the beach helped my indoor game tremendously and, and vice versa. But I think we all kind of knew that I'm kind of a beach guy. And same as Trevor. Like, he was a beach rat. He always kind of complained indoors. He just wanted Eric to set him tight X's so he could bounce it. <laughs> I can't even believe he can block nowadays with how bad he was. <laughs> what was no, it's true. That's true. Yeah, because Trevor was, was afraid of the ball back no, in the Trevor day. Trevor was, yeah. I mean, other Trevor, uh, <laughs> literally scared to block. Yeah. Well, and play defense. So it's like when I watch you guys, I'm like a little bit stunned, but also <laughs> like very happy that he has improved. Exactly. I'm, I'm and, I, and, I, and I will, and Trevor will, Trevor knows this too. Back in the day when I was like watching you guys at JOs, we were always having arguments, this and that, going to team meals and stuff. I was the one that pushed Trevor, like obviously other people did too. But I had like told Trevor that he could be a great volleyball player when he was like 15 <laughs> and that he should go play college. I mean, he was still set in his basketball ways, but 
Yeah, I always, I always believed in you, Trev. I always believed in you. Well, I, yeah, I feel like a lot of people, like, uh, I want to say, yeah, Peter Balding was your guys' coach, Eric, at Punahou. Yeah. And, and he, uh, he was trying to get Trevor to play, but Trevor's like, no, I'm going to the NBA. And we're like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor never played high school volleyball. I know. Yeah, he didn't play high school volleyball. Just, just because he didn't want to. He could have. He wanted to play video games. I think Trevor still owes Riley a hundred bucks because he bet him a hundred bucks that he'd make the NBA. I, I think that bet's still outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he ain't getting paid. <laughs> Trevor's gonna say he's still got a chance. <laughs> oh, nice, boys. Um, how about um, at the end? We just um, we usually ask like for some if you had some advice to give, but for this episode. Do you guys have any tips or advice for people um, who are also dealing with quarantine? Maybe uh, young volleyball players out there who are dealing with the same stuff we're dealing with? Ooh, we've actually talked about this a little bit. It's hard right now. Like, it's, it's really hard to, you know, get the reps you need for volleyball to improve a lot. But, I mean, we're trying to do as much as we can, whether it's go against the wall and hit a target um, pepper with a family member, watch video. I think video is huge. Uh, I'm suggesting that young players are watching YouTube, like search your favorite team and watch your favorite player, learn from their techniques and how they play. And I don't know, there's not much more that you can really do right now. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good point. I mean, I think, I think we'd be lying if we didn't say something, if we said something different, you know, if we, I think that you can only do so much at this time um, in the, in the places that have some pretty strict quarantines. Um, something that I've, what I've been really grateful about this, and I know that every, a lot of people are talking about this is, but just um, appreciating what you have and, and sitting in this space and understanding what we all have, what we all can be grateful for. Um, and what like produces meaning in our lives. I know it's for me now, it's like my daughter and, and that's investing in her even more so than I ever would have been at this time because of how much travel and, and stuff that we do when we're normally playing. But, um, yeah, finding that, that meaning and, and just working on yourself, like also away from the court. I mean, I think that that's what we can be doing too. A lot of times we, yeah, we do talk about, the physical aspect. And I do think that, uh, uh, working out and staying active, I think that's, that's huge for so many reasons. So that's, that's the thing, whether it's with a ball or without a ball, um, that's something that I, I think is huge for all of us to do. Keep, keep doing, but yeah, just that, that other aspect of, of ourselves as, as, as people get, get, gaining perspective, because then when we get back onto the court, I think we're able to, perform better in for, for a variety of reasons and we have perspective and yeah. and we have that um that gratefulness that leads to a better attitude and i and that's something that i have really focused on love it i'm i'm taking up um reading personal finances for dummies taking advantage of this time love that <laughs> Love that. We've been, we've also been having a lot of chats with that, um, as a team on how to, how to take responsibility 
how to empower each other um, when it comes to that. Cause we're all, you know, everyone in the world is getting hit financially one way or the other. Um, yeah. And that's a great point. Try finding um, other passions, reading about other things, doing research on another, you know, sector of life that you don't, that maybe you're interested in, but you don't know a lot about that's, that's really interesting to me. I've been, in, I've been doing a lot of research into healthcare and, you know, business ideas in healthcare, different healthcare policies. I have no idea about that, that aspect of life. That's something that I just was like, you know what, I'm going to go down that YouTube hole. I'm going to yeah. read some things and, and learn more about a subject that I don't know about. Dude, there's a show on Netflix called explained. It's been blowing my mind. <laughs> it just explains random stuff that you'd never think you would like really get explained to you. Yeah. Interesting. Why not? It's, you know, it's, it's fun. It's, we can take advantage of this time. Level up. That's, that's what, like video games. Just get your, level, get your level up. Get an extra like Uber sword or something, you know? That's your repertoire. True. All right, guys. Well, thanks for coming. I need to ask to see a beautiful Manoa and White All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you for coming on, boys. Appreciate uh, thank it. Thank you very much for, for having us try. And Travis, we'll be in touch. Good luck, everyone at USA Volleyball on Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we will see you guys soon. And here's beautiful Manoa Valley and Honolulu. You! All right, guys. Shoots, boys. Shoots. Shoots. Shoots.